Welcome to Living Wisely, Living Well, Timeless Wisdom to Enrich Every Day with Asha Nayaswamy, one of the spiritual directors of Ananda Palo Alto and a founding member of Ananda Worldwide. If you enjoy this content and are inspired by the teachings of Paramahansa Yogananda and his disciple Swami Kriyananda, find Asha on YouTube, Facebook, all podcast directories, and her website, ashajoy.org. Living Wisely, Living Well, December 20th. How modern do we owe it to ourselves to be? I myself was born in the then-backward, nearly medieval land of Romania. Never have I made a great effort to bring myself into the modern age. Scientific discoveries have swirled around me. New fads have sprung up. New slang has been tossed merrily from person to person. New ways of looking at things have popped up like jacks in the box. I have chosen to keep myself a little apart from it all, accepting only as much of it as would help me. These pages, for instance, are being written on a computer. I say, pass serenely through life's fair ground of excitements, but let nothing touch you that might take you out of yourself. I myself never watch television, unless for some very specific purpose. I don't care to be either modern or old-fashioned. Time passes, but divine truth remains forever the same. Why not live in timelessness? Well, that is a really interesting reflection that Swami's offering a, a big picture of his own point of view in life. You know, he's not also talking about himself as an adult. He was, as as I didn't know him as a child, but I knew... I talked to other people who did know him as a child and as a, a teenager and as a young man. And he always stood a little bit apart. That's how his friends described it to me. And, and as a child, Swami, Swami lived in Romania. His father was an oil geologist for what was uh, Standard Oil at that time, which I believe now is called ESSO. And they were stationed in Romania and developing oil fields in that country. And he lived in a little compound of, of uh, Englishmen and of Americans and Brits and Brit people from Britain, English-speaking people, in other words. They mixed with the Romanians. It wasn't like they were a caste apart. Um, Swami grew up speaking Romanian. His parents had many Romanian friends, but the, they lived in an English-speaking colony. And, he w- and they had uh, private tutors or um, correspondence course learning. And so it was a small, a small group of children. And, and for up until about the age of nine, Swami was basically the leader of the group. It was partly age, but it was also just simple magnetism. And he said, <clears throat> as a child, they never played any of the conventional games. They, they played games of his own invention because he just led them all in a fantasy world. He said, about the age of nine the personnel in the colony changed. And, and a group of American, or at least even one or two, because it was only a dozen children, um, um, American boys of a very different temperament came into the, the neighborhood. And they were sort of <clears throat> rough-and-tumble little American men in not necessarily the best ways that Americans can be. And they just didn't have any... Uh, interest in the in the kind of creative imaginative world that Swamiji lived in and 
And they were able to sway many of the children over to their side. And Swami said he would never fight for position, so when the children were not interested, he just withdrew. But even then, he, he, looked, he looked first to himself. He looked first to the, the refinement and the sensitivity of his own nature, and then he looked into the world around him. All through his teenage years, he lived that same way, which made him very lonely for a lot of it. He describes one year in his autobiography when he, he called it the popularity game, and he just stepped into conventional culture, discovered he could play the game really well, but after one year of doing it, he saw no point in it. And then he went back into his own world. So it was long before he became a disciple that that the concept of being self-directed from the inside uh, was was just inherent to his nature. And I found that a lot of people who end up on the spiritual path, who end up being part of Ananda, can look back at their own life and see a similar trajectory. That there was, and I certainly speak for myself in this, that there was some compelling inner reality. Now, it didn't necessarily make you incompatible with the world around you. Sometimes um, that compelling inner reality gave you a certain sense of happiness. That was one man that I know who's a very serious devotee now and became a, a devotee very young. His inner reality just made him very happy. So he was quite happy just being with the world as it was. It wasn't a discontent. It was a, a wellspring of inner joy that made it simply not matter what he was doing and where he was. But what Swami's talking about here also is that, you know, cultural fads come and go. He was also fortunate in that he grew up in Romania. He had a, a German-speaking nurse, is what they called the nanny, the person who took care of children. He was living in Romania, and his family language was English. So he grew up simultaneously with four languages, and at the age of nine, he added French. And he also traveled and went to many countries. So he was saved what happens to so many people, which is you grow up in one culture and you don't realize that it's an arbitrary choice. It's just simply the way it's done here. It's not the way it's done. And I only speak one language, so I don't have this advantage. But when you speak multiple languages, as Swami explained it to me, a language itself has a certain point of view, both in the, in the vibration of the accent, in the construction of the speech, <clears throat> in the words that exist or don't exist. Um, you know, there's just certain things that, that are very hard to say in one language that are easy to say in another because certain culture has an interest in certain things. I mean, it's a joke, but it's true that the Eskimo language has like 15 words for snow or 25 words for snow, but English doesn't need all those words for snow because it's just not such a fundamental part of our reality here. And German has lots of you know, very specific, extremely interesting words. Schangenfreude, I can't pronounce it prop properly, but it means enjoyment at the suffering of others. And I don't mean sadism. I just mean more when somebody gets their comeuppance and you, you feel a little pleased that it finally happened for them where you weren't able to make it happen for them. Maybe it has a deeper meaning than that, but it also has that, which is kind of a, it's not a very 
it's not a very nice sentiment, but it's a very common one. And it's, you can't say it in English, except in a lot of words. So that's part of it, is standing apart from culture. Swamiji made a comment. I, I didn't leave the USA until I was in my uh, mid-30s, early 30s. So I never knew about other cultures. I've, I went first to Europe, and then soon after I went to India. And I, I'm not a... My list is not as long, and I'm not an adventure traveler, but I've seen enough cultures to have an idea that ours is not the only one. <clears throat> but Swami used to tell me that he said, traveling in Europe especially, where there would not necessarily be racial characteristics. You start traveling in Asia, you can tell someone from China or Japan or Korea, or at least you can tell that they're Oriental, that word that we use. Indians have a certain look. But you can travel around European countries and people, you can't tell from their physical appearance necessarily what country they're from. But Swami told me that even before they speak language, you can tell what country they're from because they have picked up so much of what that culture is. I honestly didn't believe him but and because I hadn't traveled. But since I have, um, I, I have observed it. it. It was most interesting to me in India in India, there were people from there were white-skinned people from all over the world, but I could tell the Israelis from the Australians and the Australians from the Germans and the Germans from the French, just because they just moved and seemed like that culture. And I wasn't as good at it as Swami, but I was pretty close because it was self-evident. And and coming home once from a trip to India. There were three women on the plane, and, and each of them was taking care of two tiny Indian babies because they were volunteers who would fly to India and bring back Indian orphans who were going to be adopted into American families. And each woman had two of these tiny babies, and I said, how are you going to take care of two babies? Oh, she said, the whole plane will help me. Just watch. And they'd done this before, and it was true. Everybody on the plane, you know, every time one of those little babies would cry, somebody would want to pick him up and walk him up and down the aisle. And it was so amusing to me because they all had committed families, and they all had American names. So you're looking at this tiny little, self-evidently Indian child whose name is John Henry Oswald VI, you know? <laughs> and so they would call him John Henry because he was going to be John Henry. And it, it was, of course, amazing to just look at those babies and realize they would learn to speak English with an American accent. And their, their values would be whatever families they came up in. And the fact that they had started and that their bodies were characteristic would have no effect because they would take it into their consciousness. And that's who they'd be. Speaking of the foreigners, or, or the multicultural people that you could recognize. But Swamiji said, but every so often, you would meet someone and you would have no idea what country they were from. There would be absolutely no way to tell. Because they were so self-determined from the inside, that it was only when they would begin to speak a language that you could tell what country they were from. Swami, of course, himself was like that. He spoke a number of he spoke eight languages in total, and he spoke a number of them well enough with, with to, to seem as if it was his own language that he was speaking. So he, he, re, he remembered when he was in Italy, especially, he was in a, 
a shop where he hadn't been before with a group of Americans who were also mostly speaking Italian. But the man, the, the shopkeeper, the Italian shopkeeper says to Swami, of course you're Italian, but where are all these people from? <laughs> and Swami himself, when people would ask him, what country are you from? Because at the end of his life especially, he divided his time between Europe, India, and America. He had a home and a work in every country. But people would ask him, what country are you from? And he really had a hard time answering. because, And he wasn't being cute. It was because his self-definition had, had transcended anything as limited as what country he was born in. Because he was living, just as he proposed, in timelessness. Now Swami's talking about time here, culture and time, it's all, it all, it's all the same principle, which is there is that which is transitory and there is that which is eternal. And the degree to which we commit and identify ourselves with that which is transitory, we, we narrow our options and we also make ourselves vulnerable because all of that's going to go away. And what's going to be left is our inner life. And if we built our inner life on outer stimuli to match the outer stimuli, when that outer stimuli goes away, either by catastrophe or by death, which is not a catastrophe but will happen, and all of a sudden all we have is our consciousness. And if it's all been dependent on television shows and pop culture and fashion and all of those things, we're left with nothing. But if instead we have cultivated within ourselves, I live in this culture, I speak this language, I participate in this level of development, but I am the infinite self. Just as simple as that. It's a, a, a powerful practice, highly recommended. So let's read again what Swami says here in his long musing about modern life. How modern do we owe it ourselves to be? I myself was born in the then-backward, nearly medieval land of Romania. Never have I made a great effort to bring myself into the modern age. Scientific discoveries have swirled around me. New fads have sprung up. New slang has been tossed merrily from person to person. New ways of looking at things have popped up like jacks in the box. I have chosen to keep myself a little apart from it all, accepting only as much of it as would help me. These pages, for instance, are being written on a computer. I say, pass serenely through life's fair ground of excitements, but let nothing touch you that might take you out of yourself. I myself never watch television, unless for some very specific purpose. I don't care to be either modern or old-fashioned, Time passes, but divine truth remains forever the same. Why not live in timelessness? God bless you, my friends. Our work is made possible by inspired listeners. So if you feel to support Asha, you can make a one-time donation or for unique members-only content, subscribe through Patreon. Blessings and thank you.